Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Four figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil, out of his evil, treasure produces evil. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug, dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against that house, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So, happy Mother's Day, everyone, all the ladies. Happy Mother's Day this morning, and and truly, I hope that uh, the ladies here do feel appreciated. I think it goes without saying, but we'll say it, this place doesn't run without the ladies that make this place run. <laughs> and so, I mean, honestly, uh, you are just instrumental. You are absolutely uh, needed in this place, and we want you to feel appreciated and loved. So in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go in the direction, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to go in the direction that moms need most. However, that happens to coincide very nicely with what I think everyone always needs most which is we moms need to see Jesus most of all as much as the rest of us need to see Jesus most of all. Uh, Scotty Ward-Smith this morning uh, just put a, a thing out on, on Facebook and he's, he made this statement of and reminding preachers and all of us this morning that what we need this morning is not to hear about the perfect mother, but we need to hear about the perfect Savior. We need to hear about the perfect Savior. So in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to go in the direction that what moms, in the direction of what moms need most. And what they need and what we all need most is a view of our perfect Savior. So we're persevering ahead and, and seeing what Jesus and who Jesus is for every single one of us. Luke chapter 6, we're going to go ahead with this sermon. Jesus is wrapping up here the sermon on the plain. And there's these final couple of thoughts here that he goes into. This is, this is ended the same way that Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, 7, 8, 5, 6, 7, something like that, 7, 8, 9. Now I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's a Sermon of the Mount in there. And they both end up the same way with, these, with this story of the man building his house on a foundation. So Lots of times people say this Sermon on the Plain is the same sermon as the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't think it has to go there. This is Jesus' kind of natural progress or process through his sermon. This is where he's going to end up with these couple of stories. So this is, this is flowing out. Here is the end. They are directly connected to and flow from 
the rest of his sermon. So far in this sermon, if you just look back over the text with me, it should be on not much more than a page, but we've had the Beatitudes, the woes, the command to love even your enemies, the warning against judging and then not judging, taking the log out of your own eye, not being a hypocrite, taking the log out of your own eye before you're taking the speck out of someone else's eyes. And then connected with that warning against hypocrisy, looking at yourself before you try to fix others, he goes into this illustration of a good tree bearing bad fruit and a bad tree does not bear good fruit. The good tree bears good fruit and the bad tree bears bad fruit. And again, we find ourselves at an interesting kind of cross-section. We found ourselves in all along, as we've heard, the sermon from Jesus. And there's these couple of different ways we can look at this. And this sermon and these commands from Jesus hit us. And one of the ways is we hear these things and we see this high road of, of a way to live and, a, and, a way, and this calling to be on the high road of obedience to Jesus. We find ourselves in this story of the good tree bearing good fruit. We find ourselves called, I want to be a good tree that bears good fruit. That, that's just, it's kind of the surface level. I, this is the kind of tree I want to, to bear the fruit that pleases God. And so we find ourselves longing and desiring to get on this high road of obedience, that we would be a good tree that bears good fruit. But as we dig into that, and maybe we're honest and we get a little introspective with our lives, we see this high road, we long to be on it, we want to work for it, and then we also see that the hard reality is that I oftentimes go down this lower road of the the fruit that I want to bear, I don't end up bearing all that much. I want to make good fruit, And then I go around and I inspect my life and we see that I fall way short time and time again of really bearing the fruit and and bearing the fruit that I want to bear and walking out the life that Jesus calls us to. So in this first illustration here, this section of the good fruit coming from the good trees, Jesus is clearly making a call to test ourselves and to test others based on the fruit that they bear. And so you get that call good trees bear good fruit what we'll often do is we will be kind of um specialized and selective fruit checkers so we get the call good trees bear good fruit so what we'll often do is we'll say well you know i i loved this person uh we talked about in loving your enemies this person i'm kind of inclined to love i was nice to them and i bore good fruit i did the right thing there we think of some other good example of um Oh, someone's flower pot had, I was out carrying mail yesterday, and someone's flower pot had fallen off of their step. I was under no obligation. It's not in my job requirements as I walk around town to put flower pots back up on steps, but I did it. And isn't that a good fruit? I was a good citizen. Look, good trees bear good fruit, therefore I must be a good tree. And we, we kind of spot check <laughs> and, and prefer, we, we look for certain fruits we feel like we are doing well at. When we look at Jesus' standards of love being not just love for those we love, but love also for our enemies, praying for those who abuse us, we might find that our fruit is not as tasty as we'd like to convince ourselves that it is. If we don't select check, we fruit check oftentimes only after we've arranged it all in the produce aisle, like at the grocery store, where they go and they take the, okay, this one doesn't look good, throw it out, we're going to put it all in a tray, see, look, I have good fruit as we've politely uh, thrown away and ignored all the bad fruit that we really are 
producing. We put all the best stuff up front. See, look at my fruits. But that's really dishonest fruit checking. Jesus is not selecting here. He is saying good trees, they bear good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. But to further the problem even, and what's just crushing to our religious mindset, is that this is only descriptive of a good tree or a bad tree. It isn't prescriptive on how to become a good tree or how to become a bad tree. The difference being that this isn't saying make good fruit and you'll become a good tree. He says if you are a good tree, you will make good fruit. And it doesn't say if you make bad fruit, you're going to become a bad tree. It's just simply saying if you are a good tree, you will make good fruit. And if you are a bad tree, you will make bad fruit. And if we're honest, if we're honest, if you can handle it on Mother's Day, (laughs) if we're honest, we all bear bad fruit. Anger, malice, gossip, slander, inappropriate comments, materialism, greed, adulterous thoughts, maybe actions, drunkenness, other possible chemical dependencies. The list could go on and on and on of all the things we're tied up in that are no other way to describe them other than bad fruit, transgressing God's law. The concluding reality, when we look across the board at the fruit that we produce, and we don't just specifically fruit check the positive parts of our life, the only conclusion we can come to is that we must be bad trees. This is is the danger of taking the, the Sermon of the Mount and saying this is the center of Christianity. This is Jesus' teaching and you kind of, and this is popular in our culture, the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, to love others and to be good to those who persecute you and make that as the centerpiece of Christianity. There is great moral teaching found here and in other sermons of Jesus, but when you truly read them, when you truly read them, you find yourselves challenged, yes, encouraged to be better, yes, and drawn up to to go on this high road, but also crushed because you realize, oh no, (laughs) if this is is the kind of fruit bad trees make, then uh, I've got a problem. This, if we make the moral teachings of Jesus the centerpiece of Christianity, we rob it of its good news. If we make moral teachings the centerpiece of Christianity, we rob it of its good news. This news of be good people and do good things is not the totality of Christ's message. And we ruin the true Christian gospel when we hold this standard up as the gospel. Bear good fruit, you'll be good trees, is a disservice to the gospel message. The good news of the gospel comes to us when we realized how crushed we are by the standard of holiness that God has put forward. He's called us to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there isn't a single one of us who has done it for a single second of their life. Everything, all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all the time, we are in trouble. There is no one who has done that. When it comes to obeying the perfect law of God. We are all absolute failures. Darren, it's Mother's Day. Yes, this is, but it's through seeing this as we dive down in Romans 3, like we read this morning, it is only from this angle we can truly get what the good news is about. It isn't about filling yourself up with false affirmations. Just go, if I left us with this, if I left you with just go out and produce good fruit, you'll be a good tree, you all would be ruined. 
I'd be ruined. If I set up the standard of good trees make good fruit, therefore go out and make good fruit, as soon as uh, my, my in-laws come over for Mother's Day lunch this afternoon, I'm going to be breaking the, I'm making bad fruit everywhere. And I'm crushed. Nothing against it, but you know, it's just any, any lunch we go to, that's just what's happening next. It's nothing against my in-laws. It's just what happens next, right? It's the next thing that happens. Anywhere you go to lunch, it's the next thing that happens. And so if I tell you the gospel is make good fruit, we're, we have, that's no good news. We are crushed. Our hope is not in getting to work, making good fruit, in the hopes that we'll turn into good trees. It's too late for us. Seriously. Your effort and my effort, our effort will not be enough to get us there. We need outside help. We need outside help. And this is what the gospel declares to us. In a very real way, Jesus is pointing to himself here. He's saying, listen, you know what makes good fruit? Good trees. Who has nothing but good fruit? One person has nothing but good fruit. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the good tree. He's highlighting himself. He's saying, he's, we'll get to this, but he's saying, look, all, look around you for people who are making good fruit and all of them are falling short. One person isn't, one person isn't falling short and it's him. The gospel comes to us and declares to us that though Jesus had no bad fruit, Jesus bore no bad fruit. He had no sinful rebellion deserving of punishment. What does he do? He takes punishment upon himself. Not his punishment, the punishment of sinners. Those who now turn to him and re- who return to him in repentance. Those who now turn to him in repentance, rejecting their own sins and trusting in the substitutionary work are forgiven of their sins. And not only that, not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only are we forgiven of that, but the good fruit that Christ did produce, that he did earn, is credited to us as our own righteousness. This is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. If you want to nerd out a little bit, get into imputed righteousness. Christ's good works, not only does his death take away our wrath, but his good works merit to us imputed righteousness that the good works Christ has done are given to us so that when God looks at us, those who have repented and trusted in Christ, he doesn't see sinner, he sees righteousness. He sees son. He sees daughter. The gospel declaration is not to get to work to make yourself right. It is see how messed up and hopeless we all are on our own and look to Christ. Look to Christ. See his sacrifice for you. See his righteousness given to you and see your adoption. And in the joy of that, go and make good fruit. In the joy of what you have to coming to you in Christ. Then go and make good fruit. Go and do the works. Enjoy seeking to be obedient to the one who loved you through the onslaught of your own disobedience. So we can look at the moral teaching and, and yes, be called up to it. But remember, I, I'm not depart. This, is, this has been Luke's message all along. When I say the Sermon on the Mount is highlighting for us this one good tree, it's kind of been Luke's message all along. 
We go, we've gone through the infancy narratives about Jesus and the, the prophecies, the angels showing up, speaking to Mary. You've got Elizabeth and Zechariah getting this word. All along through Luke, we've got the, the testimonies of Simeon and Anna. We've got Jesus at his baptism where the voice comes from the heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He goes into the wilderness and he starts showing his authority over physical sickness. He heals the diseased. And not only that, he starts casting out demons. He has authority over the natural world, and he has authority over the supernatural world. And Luke is constantly saying, look at Jesus. He is something different. Here is one who is unique. Here is one who is special. And in this sermon, we have this, again, contrast coming up from Jesus between himself and all the other teachers that are out there. You can see it clearly in verse uh, 38, verse 39. He says, he tells them a parable. He says, uh, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he's raising up this distinction between these teachers who all these other religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, they're all blind guides. Jesus is the one who sees. They're all blind guides. He's the one who sees. And this is what's being emphasized in this last section of the building upon the foundation of a rock or just out on the ground. This is what's being emphasized. They, the other teachers, the blind guides, the hypocrites, they are ground that if you build on, in the final emphasis, your life, your building will collapse. They, they are ground, if you build on these blind teachers, these hypocrites, they are ground to build on that will fail, and Jesus is the rock. They taught a surface obedience to obtain. The Pharisees are all about follow these rules, keep up these, bear good fruit, make it look good, people. Go out and do the right thing. And that was their form of righteousness. They taught to look inside of yourself for your hope. Work hard at being right. And Jesus comes and he says, look inside of yourself and see the log that sits there. See the sin that sits inside of you. See that you're a tree that produces bad fruit. You've got problems inside of yourself. You need something external. Jesus teaches to look, to see the log in your own eye and to look to him, the one with the answers and the embodiment of hope. This is the real call from the Sermon on the Mount. It fits with all that Luke has been saying so far displaying the uniqueness of Christ. It's a call to see our own desperate need and then look to Christ. See our own desperate need and look to Christ as our Savior. He says here in verse 46 of our text this morning, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What is Jesus, is he just addressing their actions here? Is he just saying they're not participating in the right services? Or is, or is he making, attacking a confession? Is he attacking a confession that is on the surface only? He's saying, you say, Lord, Lord, but you sure don't believe I'm Lord. Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. Lord, Lord, but in your heart you are far from me. Jesus is confronting a people who have no problem with mouth service, but have no desire for heart service. Their hearts have not been changed. He's calling for his listeners to not only say, Lord, Lord, but to call to him as Lord, to see themselves as they really are, and to call to him as Lord and do what he says, which is namely, believe that he is the Lord that he says he is. 
So it brings us a couple of questions here at the end of the sermon of, of the Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to do the words Christ says? What does it mean to do the words that Christ says? And then what does that do to, for us? First one, what does it mean to do the words that he's commanded? Some of Christ's disciples asked this very question back in John chapter 6. If you still have your Bible out there with you, you can flip to the right a little bit. John chapter 6, the disciples asked this same question. John chapter 6, verse 28 is the reference I've got down here. Um, 25, when they found him, these, these people gather, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures through eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He's calling them to eat the, the labor for the food that does not perish. They ask him, then, well, so then what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Jesus is clear. The work is to believe in him. It's not really a work so much as it is to place all of one's hopes and trust in Christ himself. Trusting that what Christ has said, he can do and he does. Trusting that in Christ there is forgiveness of sin and believing that to be found in him is to be adopted as the righteous child of God. This is what Christ is calling for. So then, what does that do for us? The result that comes for us after trusting in him is that we do not collapse when the storm comes. Right here at the end of the text, this man digs down, builds his house on the rock, and the storm comes, and his house remains. When the flood arose, the stream broke against the house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. What's this storm Jesus is talking about? Is it the trials that come to us in this life? And in a sense, I think we could probably say, well, yeah, I've, I've experienced some storms. And so in a sense, yes, the storms that do come to you in this life are these storms. But honestly, there are some people that get through life with pretty light storms. Jesus is speaking of something far more universal and way more consequential. The storm that comes to everyone is the storm of final judgment. There is one final storm coming for everybody. If your life is smooth breezing, you live a comfortable American life, have all you need, all you ever will get, everything's just perfect, there's still a storm coming. <laughs> and it is the final judgment. One day everyone will stand before the onslaught of the judgment of God. Our lives will be laid bare before the storm of God's judgment. The question is, what will remain after facing the storm of God's judgment? For the one who has not trusted in Christ, who has not heard his words and obeyed it by believing, for the one who has not trusted Christ, their lives will be run over and they will be left with nothing but the just judgment of God. They'll be left with nothing but the just judgment of God. Their lives will be ruined. They will be condemned to hell under the just judgment for eternity. But for those who have heard the gospel and believed in him, not just giving lip service by saying, Lord, Lord, but trusting him with their hearts, the judgment will come, but it will not destroy them. They'll not be destroyed by this judgment because for the believer in Christ, the judgment has already been metered out. 
the judgment has already been given out. For the believer in Christ, the judgment has already been put on Christ. Judgment comes for us all, but for the one who has repented and trusted in Christ, that judgment, instead of being laid upon you as the storm breaks against you, it broke upon Christ. He bore the judgment so that when we face that final storm, we survive. We survive because Christ stood in our place and received all of our judgment. So what this means for us today is it encourages and calls for us to trust in the one who ultimately will not fail. The storms of life will come, and yes, these storms will ruin many things. Some will try to sell you on the idea that trusting God means that every storm will turn out to be okay in this life. They'll say, you know, well, they'll, they'll pervert Romans eight twenty eight. Say, well, God works all things for good. So yeah, it's bad now, but don't worry, it'll get better later. And some of us have been around long enough to know it, that some things are so bad, they ruin, they, they, they change the way the rest of your life works. You lose a loved one too early, it's kind of tough to say, you know what, God's going to use that. You're like, no, that's just bad. That's, that's just a hard reality. The admonition that, oh, it'll, it'll all make sense one, one day. And so it's not great now, but it's one day it'll all make sense. And unless they're referring to the one final day when Christ returns and makes everything right, they may be lying to you. It may not make sense for a long time. It may not, no, it may not make sense until that day. Some trials in this life are too big and too awful to ever be considered a blessing in a temporal sense. And unless the day when they mean is the final day, it isn't necessarily true that anything will ever make sense. But listen, if you're trusting in Christ, if you confess yourself a sinner and possessing no hope apart from Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, in the final analysis, you will pass through the judgment and you will rejoice. You will pass through the judgment and you will rejoice. Christ is coming. He has promised to return to wipe away all the terrible and sad things and dwell with us forever. And you will find that day, you will find that day, not that your house was somehow holding on to the foundation. You'll find that the foundation was holding your house together. The foundation was holding your house up. And in that day, we will sing. On that day, we will sing. No matter what trials come to you in this life and no matter what the final judgment comes, if you are Christ on that day, we will sing together. No matter what awful things have come in this life, we will sing on that day. I would plead with you, trust Christ. Sing with me on that day. Trust Christ. No one taught like he taught. Crushing us (laughs) with the reality of our hopelessness. And saying, your case is a mess, but here I am. Jesus is saying to us, I am the tree that gives life. I am the manna. I am the bread of life of which a person may eat and never go hungry again. May drink and always be satisfied. No one taught like him. No one went to the cross and resurrected from the grave to verify their teachings. No one did it, but Jesus did. This world is full of blind guides. And our hearts... (laughs) running on their own inclinations, they are blind guides. Christ alone sees, promises, and calls us to trust him today. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes.
to see, to hear, to, to, to obey your word, which is to believe. Father, as we prepare for communion, we don't shy away from saying, I've got bad fruit. I, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I, I fall short of even my own standard, let alone your standard. And what I need is not a, a pull, up, a pull up my bootstraps and get harder to work. God, I've got forgiveness. I need forgiveness and empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I, we need outside help. So as we come to communion, God, it is, it is a call for outside help that the shed blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, bringing me my forgiveness, help from outside that I could be washed white as snow, And in the joy of that forgiveness, in the joy of that deliverance, go and live for you. God, do this work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.